This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Todd Gustafson, HP Head of Federal and U.S. Public Sector. Todd is President of HP Federal and Head of U.S. Public Sector. His uh, role extends into the U.S. higher education, K-12, state and local government, customer segments, as well as the federal systems integrator community. His responsibilities include PNL, strategic financial plans, product and technology strategies, customer partner relationships. He's got it all. Um, Todd started his career at HP in 1987. So first off, welcome to the show, Todd. Thank you, Eileen. I appreciate uh, being with you today. Well, I got to tell you, before we start talking about leadership, I, I guess, you know, it's rare that you meet somebody who has been able to have such an incredible career at one company. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your role at HP and what has kept you there for, you know, 30 plus years. Wow. Uh, loaded question for sure, uh, Aileen. So um, today I get to work with what I would say is the single best customers in my career. And, uh, and that's in the public sector. And I've done this role for the last uh, six years or so, um, having worked primarily in uh, our commercial uh, accounts and commercial business prior to that. And, you know, when I joined uh, this team and started leading this team, I had this uh, misconception that uh, about the process whereby which you would uh, be successful. And it primarily was around this thought process. It, if you were the lowest price that you would succeed. And I had that uh, misconception for all of about uh, three months and, uh, and discovered that like everything else in life, it's about relationships, right? It's about helping our government customers achieve their mission and uh, along with that is other uh, adjacencies like price and uh, technical value and things like that. But the relationship part of it is the, uh, is the single most important. The second thing I discovered was I remember uh, talking to uh, my leader at the time after six months in the job saying, I am not sure, so sure you picked the right person for this job. And the reason being, understanding the language of public sector, understanding the cycle of public sector was so very different and foreign to anything I'd ever done in the past. Uh, But once I turned that six-month crank, if you will, all of it started to come together. And I just, um, as corny as this sounds, I just get to do what I love right now, and I have no interest in ever slowing down. Well, we, we, we both support the best customer in the world. I mean, I love public sector because these people, not only is it one of the largest markets ever, right? Um, but these people are, are, you know, feeding, you know, children, uh, get, catching the bad guy, li- getting little old lady checks, keeping people healthy. I mean, it's the best customer in the world. You, you get to help them achieve, you know, really things that count. I'll give you just a uh, quick example, if I might, that just happened this weekend that I thought was uh, really reaffirmed what you and I are talking about right now, which was, 
it was this past Thursday. Um, I was uh, candidly on the couch. I'm from Boston, and I was watching the Boston Bruins play, and it was a good game. And there was a telephone call that came in around uh, 9.30 p.m. Uh, from area code 202. And it made me wonder, hmm, who could be calling me at this time? Is it a telemarketer or what may, might it be? It turned out it was, the, uh, it was uh, many agencies from the government that were on a conference call that asked me to join them um, that shared some of the uh, challenges they have on the border right now and how technology was a key enabler for them to be able to process uh, children that were coming across uh, the border. And as a result of that, we were able to quickly mobilize our team to do exactly what they needed uh, to help HP help them accomplish with HP's help. And uh, it gave me a little bit of a boost in my step over the weekend that we were able to respond the way that we did and help the government achieve its mission. That's a great story. So you didn't probably graduate college and think, I'm going to become the head of public sector. So how'd you find yourself in your role that you are in today? Boy, that's a, a little bit of a long story, but it also goes to some of the fundamental beliefs that I have, which is I went to a small college in Rhode Island. I was from Rhode Island. Uh, my family was uh, at best middle class. I needed to pay for my own school to go to school. I was the first to go to college in my family. And uh, it was really hard to find a job that wasn't flipping burgers, um, but that also aligned with the schedule of being a, uh, a student. And I decided that it was uh, in my interest to be a waiter, uh, primarily because I could work on, at night and I could work on the weekends. And it also had uh, good earning power, if you will, in terms of hours spent uh, versus return. But I quickly discovered, uh, looking for a waiter's job, that every single restaurant had the same exact requirement, which was experience required. And I said to myself, how the heck am I going to get experience if no one gives me a shot? And I went round and round for a few months. And a gentleman by the name of Dennis Dakey, he owned a restaurant in Rhode Island by the name of Clyde, said, I'm going to give you a shot. And Dennis and I are still friends today. The restaurant's no longer there. But he gave me a shot to be a waiter. And I quickly discovered that I loved working with people. I love the challenge of if you do a good job, you'll be rewarded. Um, and those two elements of just the joy of working with people, uh, have, making sure they have a good experience, and then the earning power of doing a good job and being rewarded for that, really catapulted myself into uh, the sales environment. And as a, uh, as a result of that, one of the fundamental beliefs I have is how important it is that when you believe in someone, that you give them a chance, right? That you give them the opportunity to prove themselves. And that experience has taught me that in almost all cases, there's reward on both sides of that, of that coin, if you will, right? In terms of the individual that gets the chance. And then also for HP, who gets the benefit of someone where we gave them that chance. So it served me well over the years. You know, it's amazing how many guests I have on this show that started their careers as being a server, uh, learning how to, you know, serve people and, and meet their needs. Now, this show is about leadership, so I got to ask you, um, how would you describe your leadership style? I would say it's, uh, Aileen, it's, ev it's evolved and perhaps uh, a little bit of aging. It's a little bit of uh, wisdom and experience. And so, um, 
I began with uh, tell the way, if you will. Here's your goals, go figure it out. Here's how you need to go accomplish those goals. And I quickly discovered that that was not a good path, right? It was more of an authoritarian path, if you will. And the results sometimes were good and other times not so good. And they were, uh, they were generally never consistent. And it also resulted in many cases, uh, a lack of perhaps not loyalty, but teamwork uh, amongst, the, uh, amongst the organization. And so I've quickly, I quickly evolved, I would say, to much more of a treat your team as you would treat a family member or treat yourself. Nothing more, nothing less. So a lot of humility, willingness to admit when you're, uh, when you're wrong. Um, but also, I'm a big believer in stretching, never quitting, uh, fighting to the end. And as a result of that, we've kind of, uh, not kind of, we've blown away virtually all of our metrics year over year. And it's a result of what I would say is just human, good human behavior in terms of treating individuals with dignity and respect, but also uh, inspiring them to greatness. I'm speaking with Todd Gustafson, head of HP Federal and U.S. Public Sector. After the break, we'll discuss the definition of great leadership, decision-making and communication, and why it's important to have the right combination. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Todd Gustafson, head of HP Federal and U.S. Public Sector. So, Todd, tell me what your definition of a great leader is, and if anybody who comes to mind. Well, let's start with who comes to mind first, Aileen, which is I'm from Boston. Uh, I live and breathe Boston sports, and so I think results matter. Um, and so when I look at great leaders, I've gotten to experience what I would say is two amazing leaders from the sidelines. Bill Belichick, the coach of the Patriots, and Tom Brady, uh, the past uh, quarterback of the, uh, of the Patriots. And both of those uh, individuals exuded what I would say is a team-first mentality versus an I-first mentality. And as a result of that approach, right? There was clear definition in terms of what their goals were, how were they going to measure those goals, and what was success metrics in order for them to, uh, to get there. And everyone was on the same exact page and where, uh, where they wanted to go. And as a result of that, they've had amazing success. And I would tell you that sports is a lot of like uh, how we compete in the commercial world or in this case, the public sector world, right? is uh, when we can have everyone understand what the mission is, how we're going to get, uh, how we're going to achieve that mission and how we're going to uh, measure that. And then as importantly, how we're going to uh, thrive in the results of that achievement, it gets everybody on the same page. And I find that that communication and awareness is a uh, massively important part of how you work with your teams, right? Just uh, ongoing, constant communication that stays on track and is consistent really works well. And, oh, by the way, sometimes you may need to adjust that and be willing to adjust and not be uh, so uh, thick-headed that adjustment doesn't make sense. So tell me about an accomplishment that you're proud of or that shaped your career and really made you the, the, the servant leader that you are today. 
Boy, I would say that there's two things that might have happened. Um, we're, uh, my wife and I uh, have three wonderful children. And I would tell you that prior to having kids, I was all over the place in terms of direction, uh, focus, uh, and, uh, and for that matter, results. And I found that uh, your ability to serve others, beginning with uh, our, uh, our children, uh, who are now either in college or have just graduated from college, was a really big part of growing up, right? And, um, and being aware of others other than yourself, right, in terms of where you, uh, where you needed to go. And then I would, um, I would say that the, probably the second um, biggest thing that I've done is that I've learned uh, uh, to make sure that I have two ears and one mouth, and that I spend twice as much time listening as I do uh, speaking. So I take a, what I would say is a very rigorous approach to uh, reaching out to all levels of the organization to really understand what's happened. And as a result of that, we have this uh, collaboration and teamwork across the organization that I think is best in class uh, at HP. Uh, that's, um, that's number one. Number two is, our company, HP, has been in business for 82 years. And if you think about technology companies, not many companies have been around for 82 years. Uh, frankly, there's only one other uh, by the name of IBM. Um, but what I'm most proud about is our founders, Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard, established a culture, if you will, of integrity, stretching, treating people with respect. And so these core elements of, uh, of their approach and their culture, 82 years later are as evident as they were when we began this company. And it's a big part of why we're successful. And I'm, I try to model those, uh, that culture and because it's uh, proven itself in terms of the secret, sec secret sauce at HP. So you've been there for 33 years. You've probably uh, had some opportunity to have lessons learned. Uh, do you have any advice or, or any examples of the biggest lessons learned that you experienced as you grew as a leader there at HP? Probably the, it wasn't a single lesson, but a combination of lessons, which is uh, I, I used to, in my early years, hope and pray on outcomes. I hope this turns out, pray this turns out well. And I would uh, often, what I would say is, uh, lead things to chance. And, is it, and, and when, you, when you hope and pray, it doesn't always work out that well for you. It may, it may on Sunday at Mass, but I don't think it works out so well um, in the business world. And as a result of that, it really encouraged me to understand the details, to dig deep, to use questioning as a very effective methodology versus telling questioning versus telling um, in a way to truly understand the subject matter that you're working on. And as a result of that deep dive and a mastery of the details, not so much that it becomes debilitating to your team, but rather allows you to make good decisions. And coupled with that, I would say is this uh, move to making much more what I would say is finite business decisions that are based upon good data as opposed to gut feelings. And when you make decisions based upon uh, good data as your first framework, 
good things happen as a result of that. And without good data, you can end up making poor decisions that may not be the best possible outcome you want to achieve. I love the, the data-driven decision process, but when you think about decisions, uh, how do you, what's the most important type of decisions you can make as a leader and, and how do you approach it? Do you do it as a committee or, or are there different decision processes based on the situation that you use as a leader? Well, that's a, a little bit of a challenging question, but what I would say is the best decision that I can possibly make is to make sure that we have the best possible team at HP, that uh, we have uh, individuals that are as committed as our customers are, or our partners are, that are willing to go the, uh, to the extra mile, that we operate with uncompromising integrity in everything that we do, uh, everything. And uh, we, uh, we share in the hard work and we celebrate the success together. So building that team, I've discovered, and building that leadership bench that uh, one can be a successor virtually every, every single person that I hire as a leader on my team, I envision them as a potential successor to myself. And I give them the opportunities to thrive at HP and then go do other activities if they want. So I, um, I love the team that I work with. When I go on vacation and I'm, uh, and I'm out, I'm wired to check email, but I feel so comfortable that I have such a strong team that I work with and colleagues that are as committed as I am that uh, the business thrives as a result of that. So this time period in our lives is different than probably we've ever seen, right? I mean, any stories about... Um, changing your leadership under the stressful COVID-19 times or remote working? I mean, uh, have you approached it a little bit different? So, you know, when I thought about uh, pre-COVID, I would travel four to five days a week and I would spend probably 60 to 70% of my time either traveling to customers or meeting with customers and the remainder uh, internally focused. What I would say is, I really uh, maintain, I did two things. One is we took an oath that we would use video and whether it was in Teams or chat or Zoom um, as a key enabler for us to maintain our proximity and intimacy with our customers. So in many cases, that was a little bit of a challenge depending upon uh, work environments at home. Um, but as a result of that, we all, uh, we all held hands, if you will, and did a video and we continue to do it today. And I think that's a key enabler. We get a lot of feedback from our customers that they don't see their, uh, their partners. Um, the second thing is that we really focused on moving from being a supplier to a partner. And the way I envision that, um, Eileen, is that, we, is that um, when a uh, government customer puts up their organizational chart, that alongside all of their hard reporting employees that are government employees, that they dotted, they dotted line HP in their organizational chart. We're that important to their mission that they, uh, they recognize us on their uh, organizational chart. The last thing that I did, which was more personal, um, was, I did, uh, was I did two things. Was I started my own little Friday journal that I would uh, publish out to the extended team. That was pictures of my week. Uh, during COVID. And it was just little snapshots that I took on my phone um, that I encapsulated. And it was 
real life stories happening in my community that I just highlighted um, and used as a, uh, as, a, um, as a personal touch. And the other thing that I did was I started something on Mondays that I still do today, which is called Top of Mind Mondays. And it's a five minute, um, a five minute recording on what was top of mind for me, both personally and professionally that I shared with the team. So I would say I was even more open than I had been in the past. And as a result of that, uh, there's a lot of mental fatigue that's happening as a result of COVID. But I thought we uh, did a really nice job on bridging the remoteness of working from home with the intimacy of a uh, really solid team. I'm speaking with Todd Gustafson, head of HP Federal and U.S. Public Sector. Coming up next, we'll talk about handling change in the aftermath of a crisis. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Todd Gustafson, head of HP Federal and U.S. Public Sector. So, Todd, we all know change is hard. I know it's change. Change is hard for me personally some days. Um, but getting organizations to adopt change is always one of the biggest leadership challenges. So how do you approach leading an organization to adopt major change? You know, you're just talking about you know, the challenges with being remote. What is your, you know, your strategy when you start looking at solving that problem? So every weekend, my mental gymnastics are, what can we do better? I'm constantly thinking about that. And HP 20 years ago had a marketing campaign that was called, What If?, and uh, that's helped a little bit define um, my process whereby which I evaluate change for the organization. What if we did this? What if we did that? And I would say this is probably intuitive for a lot of the folks that may be listening today, um, but was a lesson that I learned, which was you cannot make decisions in vacuums. Uh, you... Um, in order to get everybody rowing in the same direction, you need to drive inclusion, awareness, ability to offer opinions, whether those opinions are acted upon or not. And we're going through ourselves in our organization right now, a fairly significant change. And a big part of the reason for that change is our customers tell us 12 months ago, we always wanted to have you come visit us in person. But going forward, we would prefer if we just did a Zoom call. It's more efficient for us, the, uh, the government customer, and more efficient potentially for you. And oh, by the way, it is efficient for us. So we're modeling what our customers' uh, behaviors are, what our customers' feedback is. And as a result of that, for a lot of our team, it's, it's a change in terms of how they've applied themselves. There uh, is a intuition that in order to drive success, you need to shake a hand, you need to look across a table in order to be successful. And I think COVID has taught us that that is not always the answer going forward. And as a result of that, we're going through change inside of HP in terms of how we work with customers, how we work with partners. And, uh, and it's hard for a lot of folks uh, because of that change. But I think the reason that we're going to come out on the back end of this very successful is that we drove inclusion early on in the planning process. We reached across all aspects of the organization to gather feedback, and we included a lot of that feedback. 
And we don't find resistance, but rather what we find now is an embracing as a result of that inclusion. So a lot has changed. And what do you think the biggest challenge for government executives will be in the next few years? Um, you know, whether it's just that the culture is changing or because of the pandemic or because technology has been changing so quickly? Well, the technology change is a constant, right? Think about uh, you and I have both been in the industry for a really long time. That's a, uh, a very much a constant. And uh, I would not expect, you know, uh, Moore's law to change uh, with regards to technology or the application of it. What I would say is there's two challenges for, or perhaps even three challenges for the government to think about. Let me start with security. Uh, zero trust in everything that we do, right? So that has to be become the baseline whereby which government evaluates technology. What does that zero trust uh, look like for that agency and how do they adopt it to make sure that we maintain the, the most secure networks and uh, infrastructure in the world? Uh, that's number one. Um, number two is as we serve, uh, as government serves customers or their constituents, if you will, a digital first mentality, right? So whatever we need to do, it needs to be digital first. Government has come from uh, what I would say is many years ago, a paper-based approach, an in-person based approach to, uh, to evolve. And I think the government in many cases have done a really nice job. If you look at the work as an example, the IRS or the uh, Social Security Administration has done or Department of Veterans Affairs, their leadership has driven a remarkable change with this digital first mentality. And it allows a broad uh, perspective of uh, individuals to engage with the customer, pardon me, with the government in ways they never have in the past. The, uh, the last one is more of a human elephant element, which is one is the government has done a nice job on diversity, but I think that a diverse workforce is critical, right? Diversity in every aspect uh, in terms of uh, gender, race, identity, whatever it may be, is super important because it reflects, the, it reflects the United States citizens, right? So that workforce has to reflect that. And, um, and two, a, uh, a broad outreach to have uh, what I would say is a younger population joining the government workforce um, as uh, as the, uh, as the general population ages right now. So in other words, how are we bringing in uh, millennials and otherwise into the government to make sure they reflect everyone up and down the stack in terms of the uh, citizens we serve? You know, the government, uh, that in our, our closely connected, hyper-connected world, data is being uh, developed at astronomical levels. And no one sits on more data than the US government. And you brought up the idea that you felt that good leadership is, uh, makes decisions with not only their gut, but also data-driven. Um, what do you think the challenges will be with this remote workforce, with being able to share data in a way that can really allow them to take advantage of some of the great technology that HP's bringing to the table around AI and and other, um, you know, more advanced technologies that really, to really work well, you have to have your data house in order. Yeah. And so uh, a, a cloud first approach is certainly a way to get there. Uh, look at as an example, the work that the Department of Defense has done over the past year, uh, 
maybe just a little bit longer than that, on the JEDI program, right? In terms of how now Microsoft was awarded that uh, uh, significant $10 billion plus uh, contract in order to uh, manage a single data warehouse, a single data source, a single cloud infrastructure uh, for the Department of Defense to drive, uh, to drive collaboration um, as part of that approach. The, the uh, second thing that I mentioned earlier was around zero trust. Uh, that uh, is a critical enabler of how the, how the government security must be enabled. And then lastly, uh, Department of Homeland Security is uh, leading out on something called CMMC, which is basically uh, risk management for all data that's shared uh, between the government, um, between themselves uh, with their, and with their contractors in a way that they have a common framework for how data will be handled, how security will be handled, and how to uh, manage potential intrusions, because it isn't a matter of if, it's really a matter of when and how they manage that. So I think those three elements are baseline for, uh, for our government colleagues. Now I'm gonna change the, the conversation around a little bit here. Um, in doing research on you, I found that you were been involved with the Boy Scouts. Uh, I couldn't, uh, you know, for years, probably as long as you worked at HP. Why the Boy Scouts? Do you believe uh, organizations like the Boy Scouts help develop great leaders um, and, and why? You know, I, uh, I joined the Scouts when it was, uh, when I was a, um, very young, uh, and it was called the Cub Scouts, as you may have heard previously. And I, and I worked my way up. And what I loved about, and I, at the time I grew up in Rhode Island, I was part of a troop by the name of Diamond Hill Troop was the name of my troop. And it had um, the, uh, the leaders, I forget the leader's last name, but his first name was Sal, who was our scoutmaster. And he was just an amazing individual. It gave so much of himself. And what I would say is the, uh, um, uh, Bob, uh, forget the founder's first name, who's an English gentleman that founded the Boy Scouts in, uh, in England. And much like HP, they had core cultural values, right? Um, uh, on my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country. I can't believe I still remember that now. And uh, the Boy Scout Oath. And so those those uh, were a big part of what I believed and what I thought was, was important and what my family thought from a family value standpoint was important. We ended up, uh, every year we went down to Southern Rhode Island to a Boy Scout camp by the name of Camp Yagu. And I ended up uh, leading for a number of summers something called the uh, um, CIT group, uh, Counselors and Training Group. Um, and this was getting... Uh, folks that were interested in, were in Boy Scouts that wanted to be a counselor at the camp uh, to put them through a year's worth of training or summer's worth of training to get ready to be a counselor. And it helped form what I would say is those Boy Scout values. Um, I was a, uh, I'm very proud to say that I was an Eagle Scout at 13 years old. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, it's more in the 14 to 15 range. And I was just very motivated by the camaraderie, the teamwork and the values uh, that Boy Scouts brought. You're listening to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today we're talking with Todd Gustafson, head of HP Federal U.S. Public Sector. Next, we'll find out what Todd's advice is to the next generation of leaders. You're listening to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today we're talking with Todd Gustafson 
head of HP Federal and U.S. public sector. So Todd, you have had an incredible career. So what do you do with your free time? Do you spend, you know, we talked a little bit about Boy Scouts, but do you, are you involved in any charities? Do you have any particular sports you do? So Aileen, um, I talked a little bit early about having three kids and we're at the final year of being able to watch our daughter play uh, lacrosse at Amherst College. So that part of my, uh, that part of our lives, if you will, is, uh, is shifting from being a, uh, a watcher to now have to find my own way. You know, I'm proud to say that uh, there is a organization in Massachusetts called the Pan Mass Challenge. And their single goal is to support the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute um, and help eradicate cancer in our lifetime. And uh, it is a uh, organization that uh, rides, I ride from Sturbridge, Massachusetts uh, to Provincetown, Massachusetts. It's a 200 mile wow. day ride. And it is, uh, first of all, it's, a, it's the single largest athletic charity event in the world. Last year, we raised uh, $50 million during the pandemic. The year before, $55 million. We've set a goal this year for $60 million. So this is uh, about 5,000 riders, all with a single goal, right, in terms of helping eradicate uh, cancer. I, um, there's two things that come out of this. Uh, first is that it's good for your body, right? Getting out on the bike, having a goal, having something you want to accomplish, it's healthy. Um, two, as importantly, giving back to the community, right? Uh, there are a lot of others that are so much less fortunate that might be fighting cancer than I am. And I am uh, equally proud to say that our son, Jack, who's uh, 22, has ridden with me for the past three years as well. And I'm passing this along to uh, my family members. My sister and I have done it. So it's just a... Um, uh, as I've gotten older and wiser, the importance of going the extra yard for your community and your neighbors and for those less fortunate is a, is a big part of who I am and I think great leaders uh, need to be. So let's change the discu uh, discussion a little bit about your career path and, and uh, time horizons. What was your first job uh, you know, and how did you get started so that if somebody wanted to follow in your footsteps, they could learn a little bit about, okay, you know, I, I, I don't become vice president of a big division like yours overnight. So I joined HP uh, way back when, and if you can believe the best selling product that we had at the time was HP calculators. I thought you were going to say printers. <laughs> no, uh, it wasn't printers at the time. And uh, not soon after I uh, joined HP, we introduced the HP LaserJet. That changed everything in terms of my career trajectory. Um, but what I would say is that I had, even though I've worked for this company for 33 years, I've had over a dozen different, very unique jobs that a company like HP offered me. So it was almost like working for a dozen different companies, doing different things, stretching myself in ways that I never thought imaginable. And what I would say is that throughout my career, Probably that what has worked best for me is that I would, uh, one, always have one or two, what I would say is super smart, super engaging mentors. The, uh, and mentors that were willing to um, invest with me in my career. And that's been a big part of uh, what I would say is my success is having those mentors. 
The other thing that I did uh, two times now in my career is I've uh, reached into my wallet and I've paid for a, a private coach, a career coach, if you will, to help me define things as simple as speaking styles, but uh, help me just to find who I am, where I want to go and measure myself against the standards that I've uh, framed for myself. And so I think that mentorship and that coaching has been a big part of my career at HP. And then always looking around the corner in terms of uh, what I want to do next. You, you might find it interesting, uh, Aileen, that I've never, ever interviewed for a job uh, inside our company. Um, all of my jobs have come as a result of doing a good job and someone tapping me on the shoulder and saying, uh, might you consider doing this next? And so I don't think that's changed from 33 years ago to today at HP. Would you describe your career as a straight line or, or not? I mean, I, I know with, I have four kids and as we sit down and they start wanting to plan out and map out their career, you know, I, I, I have to tell them, you, you got to try things that you don't expect sometimes. And those sometimes could be the best experiences. Did you have that kind of experience in your career? I did. Um, I have this expression, sometimes you have to zig before you zag. Uh, and what I'm trying to say is that your career path will generally never be linear from point A to point B. And your willingness, right, to invest uh, take a lateral, take a, uh, a backward uh, movement potentially in terms of your career. As long as you have good mentors that you know exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it um, is, the, uh, is the way forward. I'm, I'm a little bit uh, old school. When it comes to the new year, I map out every year what do I want to achieve. Um, and if you are at my desk at home right now, you'll see my five goals that I want to achieve. And so have that mental fortitude to take the time to plan, really understand where you want to go, and then share those goals, right, with, uh, with key leaders. Um, I would say that that's a, uh, a lost element to a certain degree for folks that just expect to have career growth happen versus have a plan to get there and work that plan. So do you mentor much? And if you do mentor, uh, I'm sure you, what's the, one thing that you wish the 18-year-old Todd knew when he graduated from high school or college? Yeah, um, what I would say is uh, I mentor right now uh, seven individuals. They, they vary in terms of scope and responsibility at the company. Uh, three of them are individual contributors. Uh, if, if I want to have good mentorship, uh, above me, I need to be willing to give good mentorship, right? Uh, that's, number, uh, that's number one. Number two is, uh, I would say it's bifurcated. There's two bits of advice I wish I had that I've shared with our children, which is, one, um, the importance of follow-through and timely follow-through and delivering on your commitments, right? Do what you say you're going to go do. And if you can't, communicate why you can't um, early. And the second thing wasn't, a, was a lesson I always knew, um, but I'll just, it bears repeating is integrity is the single most important attribute that you have in your life. Don't ever compromise your integrity because it takes forever to build it and it takes a nanosecond to lose it. So make sure that you're always honorable and truthful in everything you do.
You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Todd Gustafson, HP Head of Federal and U.S. Public Sector. Todd, I want to just thank you for joining us today and sharing your personal journey and some super valuable uh, advice. I totally agree with your, your, your advice about integrity. You cannot uh, gain that back. Um, so again, thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be with you. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. E-commerce merchants, does consistent monthly growth while hitting ROI goals sound good? Here at AdRoll, our customers constantly let us know it feels good. AdRoll helps you attract new customers and bring shoppers back to finish the sale. Integrate your e-commerce store with AdRoll and manage display, social media, and native advertising all in one place. Sounds good, right? See the difference. Visit AdRoll.com to get started today. You made it. Here. Finally checked out of office to check into the sweet views of that place you've always wanted to go you know the one it's nice even the kids like it this place is so cool and they never like it mom can we go to the pool look at that not even asking for the wi-fi when you're with amex it's not if it's going to happen but when american express don't live life without it